Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Today's episode of the Simply Scary Podcast is brought to you by Euphemet. Euphemet is a podcast program about the unknown and our relationship to it, which you can find alongside this show on iTunes and at euphemet.com. Host Jim Perry, along with a group of curious radio producers, are in search of the other side, the thing under your bed, that signal of the unknown, and the true stories behind the strange phenomena that are outside the sphere of popular consciousness. Featuring radio diaries that recount astonishing first-hand experiences, Euphemet attempts to decipher the signal and to decode what it all really could mean. As a special bonus, Jim will be joining me on the show after our first story tonight to discuss a culture, the esoteric and the enchanted, and tell us a bit more about Euphemet and why this program is the perfect addition to your weekly podcast lineup. Stay tuned. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Step right up and prepare to be unsettled. You have left behind your safe reality and fallen into darkness. There is no escape <laughs> and there is no reprieve. Welcome to the Simply Scary Podcast, Season 3, Episode 6. I'm GM Danielson, and tonight I'll be your guide through the twisted world and disturbed imagination of authors Kevin David Anderson and the Dark Scholar. And for our patrons and season pass holders, we offer more than an hour of additional terror. 
with a tale by Emery, performed by yours truly, about a group for which the phrase bad actors is all too apt. And finally, a narrative from Alicia Sarazen, produced as part of previously featured author Megan J. Meehan's recent horror writing workshops. If you or someone you know may be interested in signing up for Megan's future writing classes, contact her at megan at chillingtalesfordarknights.com for more information. <laughs> now, it's time for our descent into depravity. So take your seats in our theater of the mind. Have your ticket ready. Prepare yourself. The show is about to begin. <laughs> in our first tale tonight, from Kevin David Anderson, starring Jason Hale, we invite you to explore the purpose of paranormal premonitions, which sometimes come in unexpected packages. I give you green eyes and chili dogs. and chili dogs. Written by Kevin David Anderson. Performed here by Jason Hill. Dale stared down at death. It wasn't the first time, and until his arteries finally petrified from a lifetime of truck stop cuisine, it wouldn't be the last. No more than twenty, the girl lay on an autopsy table. Not the modern stainless steel variety, but a porcelain antique with aluminum legs and a drain similar to the kind found in the ravaged bathtub. Dale hovered over the grisly scene. For a few seconds, he thought he might be dead too. A disembodied apparition. Then, the chili dogs he had wolfed down a few hours ago started doing unpleasant things to his insides. Even though he gazed down at the young woman, frozen in death during what he assumed was a premature autopsy, it was the chili dogs causing waves of nausea to ripple through him. Swallowing back the discomfort, he reached out for the poor girl. Despite a thick layer of makeup, her face had an innocent, endearing quality. He wanted very much to close those green eyes, give this one some peace, let the ferryman know that she was ready for the final journey, but his hand disappeared into her cheek, emerging out the other side. That's when Dale knew it was simply a dream. It made sense. Most everything was grainy, out of focus, black and white, except for those eyes, those piercing green eyes. He took a deep breath and willed himself to consciousness. Damn it! Wake the hell up! He opened his eyes, then shut them, stunned by the glare of oncoming headlights. Bringing a hand over his brow, he opened his eyes slowly, like a child cautiously opening a closet door, unaware of what is inside. Hey, hey! Welcome back, sunshine, a burly voice to his left said. 
Glancing over, Dale saw Earl in the driver's seat of the 18-wheeler. His friend and sometimes partner, unshaven, grinned at him with tobacco-stained teeth. Earl's gut would have done Santa Claus proud. It pressed up against the steering wheel, and his stretched-to-the-limit t-shirt could barely contain it. You, uh, get enough beauty sleep, partner? Earl said. Dale yawned. Answering his own question, Earl said, Nope, didn't think so. Still look like three-day-old roadkill. <laughs> Dale heard a feminine laugh behind him. He turned around and looked behind his seat. A young woman bent forward, hand over her face, giggling. Oh, Dale, this here's Katie. Picked her up about 25 miles back. Katie offered her hand. Hi, I really appreciate the lift. Was out there for hours. Thought I'd have to sleep next to a cactus. Uh, yeah. No problem, Dale said, taking her soft hand and gazing into her green eyes. Without letting go, he turned to Earl. Pull over. Earl frowned. What's wrong? Dale let go of her hand. Just pull over. Damn, if you need to drain the lizard, you put your knees together for a mile or two, Earl said. There's a chew and choke just up the... Now, Earl, Dale said. I gotta go now. Fine. Earl started a downshift. I swear you got the bladder of a 90-year-old woman. Hell, we ought to invest in some of them adult diapers so we can get a haul in on time. The tires rolled over gravel along the side of the highway, and before the rig had stopped, he opened his door. Dale jumped out of the cab, his boots touching down in the Utah desert. At half-past midnight, it was pitch black outside, but the lights from the rig did a fair job of chasing away the darkness in the ten-yard perimeter. Dale walked straight for the point where the light faded into night, kicking up dust under his heavy footfall. He wasn't a fat man, but no one had ever accused him of missing a meal. Dale unzipped his fly and pissed into the breeze. What the hell is so damn urgent? Earl took position next to Dale. I swear, sometimes your jump beard and bull's testicles on snipping day. Why'd you pick her up? You're not gonna give me that never-pick-up-hitchhiker speech, are you? She can't be more than 110 pounds. Hell, I think we can take her. No, it's not that. It's just... What then? I... I just saw her. Earl shook his head. You couldn't have. You've been sawing logs since Barstow, buddy. Dale looked down, tapped, and sighed. No... I saw her in a dream. A grin curled on Earl's cheeks. Yeah, I dream about young things like that all the time. Once there was this not-that-kind-of-dream, you cradle-robbing shithead. I mean, she was... She was stripped naked and cut up like some high-school dissection project. Earl lowered his voice, glancing back at the cab. Wait, now, you saw her naked. Old man, will you please focus? I'm sorry. Earl zipped up. I think she's in danger or something. Dale sighed. It's just a feeling. Earl didn't respond for a few moments, distant crickets filling the silence. Oh, Lord, how I hate it when you get that feeling, Earl said. Well... If she stays with us, I suppose we can look after her. 
Yeah, I suppose. I'd hate this kind of crap. Earl leaned close to Dale. Did you get a chance to check out them headlights on her? Dale could picture them, but not at all like Earl probably was. In Dale's vision, her round, perfect breasts were no longer held in place by firm, uncut skin. They had flopped to either side of her chest and rested on blood-soaked porcelain. Jeez, Earl, you're old enough to be that girl's a strange, drunken, perverted, unshaven. Don't even invite him over for Thanksgiving no more, Grandfather. Earl raised his voice. Unshaven? He turned his head so Dale could see his face in profile. This is trimmed and deliberate stubble. Earl ran a hand over his cheeks and double chin. I think it makes me look a bit like Ethan Hawke. What do you think? Dale felt vile rumblings deep in his belly, splashes of vomit burning his throat. Hell, I don't know, Earl. When Ethan is in his late 50s and puts on 70 pounds, I'll let you know. If he got moving, he might be able to quell the need to puke, so Dale started walking back to the truck. Oh, Jesus, Dale, can't you ever say anything nice to me? Dale stopped. Damn, Earl is needy. Without turning around, he said, You... Don't smell like god-awful shit today. How's that? Man, was that so hard? I swear to God, good buddy, getting a compliment out of you is like pulling Siegfried off Roy. <laughs> Before Dale could take another step, he felt a massive belch ascend his esophagus. He tried to swallow it, but it burned like raw jalapenos. He instinctively bent forward, just in time to avoid puking on his boots. Earl placed a hand on his heaving back. You see... That's why you're not supposed to eat more than one of them chili dogs in that place. Hell, even the waitress said so. Katie yelled from the cab. Is he all right? Oh, yeah, Earl said. If puking your guts out ever becomes an Olympic event, well, my friend here will win that gold medal faster than you can say, Oh, what's that smell? <laughs> Feeling a great deal better and ten pounds lighter, Dale wiped his mouth. Well, that was fun, Dale said. If you're all done redecorating Utah, I suggest we get this show back on the road. Dale held out his hand. I'll drive. Earl pulled out the keys. All right, but be gentle with her this time. My rig's a Peterbilt lady. Unlike that Mac Hoare you tool around in. Earl was baiting him into another smack-talking session over whose truck was superior but he wasn't in the mood. His throat burned like hell. Every breath he took reeked of chili, and there was a girl in the cab he could easily picture with her chest cracked open. He just wanted this run to be over. Dale sparked the engine back to life while Earl let out a long belch. The unwelcome odor of chili filled the cab. Earl rubbed his belly and made a sour face. How many of those chili dogs did you have? Just one. Earl said. Well, Dale said, pulling back out onto Interstate 15, it's probably going to take a little longer. No, sir. Earl shook his head. I ain't puking. Only girls puke. No offense to either of you. <laughs> Katie chuckled behind them. So, uh, where are you headed, Katie? Dale asked. Back home, she said. Salt Lake City. Christ, Dale thought. 
Few places on the planet gave Dale the willies, but Salt Lake City always made his hair stand on end. Even in broad daylight, the city just seemed off-kilter. All the streets spun out from the cathedral like spires in a web, trying to snare a meal for some unseen spidery god. So, uh, do you guys drive together all the time? Katie asked. I mean, I've seen truckers ride together before, but it's usually man and wife team. Oh, uh, unless you guys are... Detecting apprehension in her voice, Dale said, Are what? Well, I don't judge or anything. Her voice quivered. And not that there's anything wrong with that. Dale finally got her meaning. It must have hit Earl at the same time because they both responded with a deep and masculine, No! God, no, Dale continued. In the rearview mirror, Dale saw Katie wave her hands as she said, Like I said, not judging. Earl laughed, then belched. Dale fanned the smell of regurgitated chili with his hand. Will you stick a cork in it, brother? Jeez. Earl rubbed his belly. Better out than in. He turned around. You see, Katie, we're just doing a double haul. Did you notice we got two trailers hooked together? Uh, yeah, Katie said. The one on the end is his. Earl gestured to Dale. Sometimes cargo needs to get from L.A. to Chicago in an awful hurry. Just one driver that can take nearly uh, three days if a driver is obeying the law. Two drivers? Dale and I can go straight on through cutting the time in half. Get there faster, Katie said. And pace triple, Earl grinned. The headlights lit up a sign, which Dale squinted to read. Salt Lake City, 12 miles. Earl leaned toward Dale. She thought you and I were... Uh, yeah, I got it, Earl, Dale snapped. Earl sat back up straight. If and I swung that way, I could get someone prettier than you, I think. He turned to face Katie. Don't you think I could get someone prettier than them? Katie laughed. I don't know, maybe. What do you think of this stubble? Earl said. Think I'll look a bit like that Ethan Hawke? Oh, yeah, a bit, Katie said. Earl turned toward Dale. Told you. Good God, Dale thought. Dale contemplated driving into a set of oncoming lights. So, Katie, he said, catching her gaze in the rearview mirror. What brings y'all home? Oh, she slumped back into her seat. My mom called me. Wants me to help with Billy, my younger brother. He's sick? Dale asked. Nah, just acting funny. Earl turned around. Funny how? Ever since he graduated from high school, a couple months back, he just sleeps all day. Aw, hell, Earl said. That's just being lazy. Post-graduation syndrome. Well, it's not just that, Katie continued. Mom said he never eats anymore. He's turned pale and thin. And when he does go out... It's only ever after dark. A chill crawled up Dale's spine. He glanced over at Earl, who was looking back at him. Dale could tell they were thinking the same thing. Mom says his whole personality's changed, like he's a different person. And he has this new group of friends Mom's never seen before. Katie paused. Dale met her gaze in the mirror. The luster of her green eyes faded. Katie shrugged. I don't know. Mom thinks that I can talk some sense into him. 
We used to be close. Mentally, Dale kicked himself. There was, in fact, a silver cross in the glove box of his truck, kept for just such an emergency. But they weren't in his truck. They were in Earl's. Dale had no idea what implements Earl kept on hand beyond a bowie knife. One as big as a machete, but still. Katie rested her elbows in the back of their seats. Hey, listen. You guys have been real nice to me. I'm sure my mom wouldn't mind if you wanted to come in for a minute. Use the facilities you're ever about to eat. Earl let go with another belch, patting his stomach. Uh, nothing to eat, thank you, but oh, I could certainly use a quick shower. Ah, oh, sure, Katie said, turning toward Dale. How about you? Dale sighed, wishing he were still asleep. Well, how about it? Earl said. Sure, why not? Dale said, putting on the turn signal. He eased the rig over, taking the first exit into Salt Lake City. A few minutes later, they parked in a faintly lit suburban street. The houses were big, two and three stories, and even in the night, Dale could see finely manicured landscaping. Katie hopped down. Just let me go in first and say hi, then I'll wave you in, okay? Uh, yeah, sure. Earl closed the cab door, turning to Dale. He lowered his voice. You, uh, think we should, uh, let her go in alone? I think her story has already been written, my friend. Huh? Dale shook his head. Never mind. They both watched silently as Katie crossed the street and followed the walk to the two-story Victorian. The dark porch seemed to swallow her petite form. She had been out of sight for a full minute before either of them spoke. How long we gonna sit here? Earl rubbed a hand over his stubble. Dale looked up the street. The ghost-white steeples of the Mormon temple rose like watchtowers, heaping a vigil on its flock. The looming spires added to Dale's discomfort, reminding him that there were a million places he'd rather be about now. Guess that's long enough. He turned to Earl. What you got? Earl reached under the seat and pulled out a heavy vinyl carrying case rolled up like a sleeping bag. As Earl unfurled it, Dale was pleasantly surprised to see that Earl was better prepared than he'd imagined. Throwing knives, a handgun, bullets, some silver, some not. Several sets of brass knuckles. All were tucked into form-fitting pouches. I'll take the thirty-eight, Dale said, removing the revolver. He flipped open the carousel, checking to see if it was loaded. It was. As he tucked the gun in the small of his back behind his belt... Earl pulled out two throwing knives and shoved them in his back pocket. He reached under the seat again and came up with a bowie knife cradled in both hands. Dale smiled as he read the large inscription on the blade. Betsy. You ready to go to work, old girl? Earl said to his knife. Dale slapped Earl's arm. Come on, old man. As they crossed the street, Earl let go another chili-laced burp. Dale frowned at him. More stealth, less belching. Earl feigned a salute and then moved up the walk. The wooden porch creaked under their considerable weight. In the stillness of the night, it seemed thunderous. Dale put his hand on the door. It was ajar. He took a deep breath and pushed. The door swung inward, and they both stared for a moment. There were only two sources of light in the house. One came from upstairs, very faint, distant, probably escaping from underneath a closed door. The other was bright and glaring. 
Dale got the impression that it was a light bulb hanging free with no lampshade to soften the glow. It shone upward, and although Dale couldn't see the source, it was apparently coming from a cellar. Gesturing with Betsy, Earl said, Age before beauty. Dale moved inside. His boots made no sound as he stepped onto a thick throw rug. Following his instincts, he headed toward the cellar, motioning Earl to follow. The cellar light at the end of the wide hall illuminated family photos on the wall. Dale recognized images of Katie, with someone he assumed was her younger brother. The siblings were pictured at different moments in their lives. Elementary school, soccer team pictures, proms. As he moved down the hall, taking in the images was like watching them grow up. When Dale reached the cellar entrance, he glanced back at Earl before he started his descent. He had no doubt that Earl would always be there, covering his back, ready to take on whatever horror awaited them. But he still felt the need to check. They both took a deep breath, and then they descended. Midway, Dale hunched to get a better view and caught sight of four aluminum table legs sitting dead center on the cement floor. With one more step, he saw the white porcelain of the autopsy table. He paused for a moment and closed his eyes. You okay? Earl put a hand on Dale's shoulder. Dale nodded, swallowed hard, and opened his eyes. Stepping onto the cellar floor, each moved to opposite sides of the porcelain table. They stared down at Katie and her green eyes. Oh, sweet Jesus. Earl wiped his brow. Dale knew this is what they would find, but a small part of him, now crumbling into disappointment, wanted to be surprised. She looked cold, and he wanted to cover her somehow. But her days of feeling cold were long gone. I don't get it, Earl said. This couldn't have happened in five goddamn minutes. This took hours to do. Dale nodded, but no. And if she's been lying here, Earl paused, swallowing. Who the hell did we get in my rig? Dale just shrugged. Earl shuddered as if a ghost had just moved through him. How in the hell does this creepy shit always find us? I mean, it's not like we go looking for it. Dale examined the two small puncture wounds in Katie's neck, very round and deep. We're just lucky that way, I guess. So what now? Earl said. Get out of here? Make an anonymous call to Johnny Law? Dale shook his head. Katie didn't bring us here to just find her. I'm afraid you were going to say that. Earl sighed. So, what's the plan? We check the rest of the house. We don't find nothing, then we wait. Great, Earl said. I always want a tip. They both jumped as an old rotary phone mounted on the wall began to ring. Dale pointed the 38 at the phone, his finger wrapped tightly around the trigger guard. Upstairs, at least four other phones were ringing in unison, some with electronic bleeps, others with traditional rings. After the fourth ring, Earl said, Uh, are you gonna shoot the phone? Dale rolled his eyes and lowered his pistol. I should get that. It might be our bad guy calling to say hey. Earl grinned. Before Dale could respond, the ring stopped. It didn't stop because the caller had given up, terminating the connection. 
It stopped ringing because someone answered it. Dale and Earl exchanged silent, wide-eyed glances. Someone upstairs, possibly on the second floor, had picked up. And Dale could just make out a male voice filtering down through the still house. No, I was just getting a little rest, the voice said. I can't wait to be with you again, my beloved. Dale heard feet slap down above as if someone was getting out of bed. Or possibly getting out of a coffin. Yes, it did take a long time, the voice continued. Mother, too. But it was well worth it. They just tasted divine. Like black roses harvested from the soil of a graveyard. Heavy steps moved above. The footfalls began descending and the voices grew louder. You did? The voice sounded excited. Oh, how delicious. Dale motioned for Earl to take position under the stairs on the right. Dale stood to the left. The voice was now at the top of the cellar stairs. The words were crystal clear. Until we are together again, my dark princess. For I am but only half a demon without you. Dale had the nauseating feeling of listening to a horror romance novel on tape, complete with cheesy goth dialogue. Worst of all, he was almost sure what the creep would say next, and he cringed at the thought. Don't say it, please don't say it. You complete me, the voice said at the top of the cellar stairs. God, I can't wait to kill this son of a bitch. Dale heard the soft bleep of a cordless phone being switched off. Then heavy footsteps shook the wooden stairs as the man descended. Dale pressed himself against the wall, sucking in his gut. Earl did the same with little effect. A dark figure stepped down onto the cellar floor, a black silk cape trailing behind him. Shoulder-length hair of the color of midnight swayed with the creature's movement as it approached Katie's still body. He reached out a bony hand and caressed her dead cheek. We still have so much more to do, my sweet sister. The monster was Katie's younger brother, Billy. He moved to the other side of the table, his ebony eyes aimed at Katie's dead green ones. We've only just begun this journey, you and I. Together we will explore passions only dreamt of. Earl interrupted the bastard's monologue with a loud, unrestrained belch. He looked over at Dale and said, I'm sorry. The dark figure stood erect, about five and a quarter feet tall. Dale registered a hint of surprise on the creature's face. Billy wore a dark pinstriped vest with a tuxedo-style collar. Blood-red jewels dangled from a choker around a milky white neck streaked with veins. Billy raised his arms dramatically, flinging the cape off his shoulders. He bared one-inch fangs that gleamed ivory under the naked light bulb. Jeez, Dale thought. Somebody's got Dracula envy. Foolish mortals, Billy said. Rushing down into a dark lair, knowing not what ye will find. Yeah, Dale said. We're kind of stupid that way. Billy, now a bloodlusting thing, stepped away from the table. Do you know in whose presence you are in? Enlighten us. Earl brought up the knife. 
Billy narrowed his gaze, and his black pupils were just visible between slits of pale skin. He tilted his head down, revealing a Bela Lugosi-style hairline. I am a god of death. Dale chuckled. You mock me, mortal. Sorry, Dale said. I just thought that if and ever I met a god, he'd be... Well, you know. Dale looked at Earl. Help me out, buddy. Taller, Earl said, raising an eyebrow. Yeah, Dale agreed, taking aim with a thirty-eight. Taller. Billy hoisted his arms like a Shakespearean thespian demanding the audience's attention. Like the night I am forever, long after your bodies have been reclaimed by the cold earth, I will continue in the darkness, forever employed by death, draining the living from my unending journey through time. I am eternal. I am the night. I am forever. Dale shot Mr. Forever through the forehead. Billy fell back against the wall and slid downward, like a slug. He left a thick, pulpy trail. Astonishment was chiseled on his dead features. Earl moved fast for a man his size, approaching Billy's body. He knelt down and looked as if he were going to poke the body with Betsy. Easy, Earl. Dale kept the pistol trained on Billy's unmoving chest. That ain't always the end of him. Careful with my middle name. Earl brushed the blade across Billy's cheek. Dale lowered the gun. Your middle name is Marion. Now, I told you that was confident. What the hell? Earl rotated the blade, revealing a dull white substance on its edge. A flesh-colored spot had appeared where Earl had scraped the knife. Earl rubbed his thumb across Billy's neck, smearing the stenciled on veins. His thumb glistened with makeup. Y'all gotta be kidding me. Earl opened the dead boy's mouth. He yanked out one of the fangs. Holding up the dislodged prosthetic tooth, he shook his head. You crazy son bitch. He turned to Dale. What the hell is wrong with kids today? Dale sighed, putting the pistol back in his belt. Earl stood and tossed the porcelain fang under Billy's chest. I mean... Why can't they just read their parents' liquor cabinet and smoke pot like we did? Dale moved forward, looking down at Katie's green eyes. They were the prettiest shade of forest green he had ever seen. I swear, Dale, video games, iPods, reality TV, rotten their little brains. Earl's voice rose. Get up, you son bitch. It's my turn to kill you. You about through? Earl rubbed his forehead. Yeah. He joined Dale at the table. Sure was a sweet thing. Dale said, an angel if ever there was one. He closed her eyes with his fingers. Sleep now, child. Earl crossed his hands over his belly and both men stood silent, only the sound of their breathing between them. The sound of the front door being closed echoed upstairs. Dale froze. Footsteps moved over the ceiling, heading for the cellar stairs. Dale and Earl turned to face the door. Within moments, a set of long female legs encased in thigh-high patent leather boots came into view. They seemed a bit unsteady, as if the owner was carrying something, making the journey down the steps awkward. When the woman reached the bottom step, she froze, surprise showing through a pound of goth-styled makeup. She held a bundle two feet long, 
limp and unmoving. It was a child. Its bright pink Dora the Explorer pajamas contrasted sharply with the woman's vampire outfit. Well, I'll be damned, Earl said. There's a missus, some bitch. Without a word, the woman dropped the child. Dale lurched forward, arms outstretched. He missed the child's body but caught her head, keeping it from hitting the cement floor. The woman scrambled up the stairs. Dale pulled the girl to his chest as he felt something pass over his head, nicking his hair. One of Earl's throwing knives stuck in the thick black heel of Vampira's boot. The blade didn't slow her down. Earl grimaced apologetically. Get that child stealing bitch, Dale yelled. Earl rushed past Dale and mounted the stairs. Look out, wide load coming through. Dale held the child out in front of him. Please don't be dead. He placed a thick finger on the small neck, holding his breath. The child was breathing, and he felt a healthy pulse in her neck. He breathed with relief. Thank you. He leaned in and caught the familiar scent of chloroform. Goddamn sons of bitches. The child stirred. He brushed her fine auburn locks away from her eyes and stood up. You just get some rest, sweetie. Ain't nothing gonna hurt you now. Dale looked back at Katie, understanding why she had brought them here. You done real good, girl, real good. Then he headed up the steps. In the living room, Dale found a love seat close to the entryway. He gently deposited the sleeping child and pulled an afghan over her. I need to go help Uncle Earl, but I'll be back, he whispered. Dale hurried through the open front door. He took out the pistol, looking up and down the street for any sign of Earl or Vampira. On the last porch step, he felt something slick under his boot. Both feet went out from under him. He braced for impact. As first, he hit the brick walkway. God damn it! Dale rolled off one cheek, the stench of chili assaulting his nostrils. Oh hell, Dale, I'm sorry. Earl strolled across the lawn. What did I slip on? Earl stood over him, rubbing his belly. Uh, come up them basement steps just so darn fast it jarred something loose. That chili dog just did a Mount St. Helens on me. Dale realized what he was sitting in. Oh man. He sat back down. Well, did you get her at least? Earl shook his head. Sorry, buddy. Twenty years ago, maybe. He slapped his gut. This here body was built by Bud. Damn it, Earl. Hey, man, I ain't no Mark Spitz or nothing. Dale furrowed his brow. What? You know, the Olympic running guy. Mark Spitz was a swimmer, you idiot. Oh. Earl scratched his head. Who am I thinking of? Olympics fast running fella. I have no idea. Dale thrust his hand up at Earl. Earl grasped Dale's hand and pulled him up. There was a wet sound as Dale's butt departed from the walk. Dale stood, slapping regurgitated chili dog off his ass. Exactly why am I friends with you? Because I'm so damn pretty, Earl grinned. But looking back at the house, his expression turned solemn. Is he a little one? I mean, is she? No, Dale said. Just sleeping, chloroform. Earl let out a long breath. Well, what now? Can't call local cops. We'd be here for the next few days trying to reckon all this. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to explaining how we come to be here neither. Well, what then? Dale thought for a moment. 
Well, I still know a few folks at the FBI. One I know could maybe keep my report of what went on here anonymous. At least the info would get filtered down to the locals. Well, what about little one? Can't leave her here. Dale gazed out across the yard, seeing the enormous white spires in the distance. I got an idea. FBI? Earl slapped his belly. I know you don't like to talk about it, but one day you're going to have to tell me more about this life you had before we met. Dale slapped Earl's back. Now, you know my life didn't really begin till I met you. He moved up the steps. As much as I appreciate all the sweet talk, Earl said, I know you're just trying to change the subject. Again. After depositing the sleeping child on the top step of the temple, Dale looked back only once. When security guards swarmed around the bundle, he said a silent goodbye. Dale made his way to where Earl waited in the truck, engine humming. He hopped into the cab. Everything go all right? Earl said. Just fine. Earl turned the lights on as the truck began to roll forward. If I might make a personal observation, good buddy. Dale buckled up, sighing. If you must. For a man as religiously void as yourself, that was a very spiritually insightful thing you've just done. Dale folded his arms and sank into his seat. Will you please just get me the hell out of Utah? Suits me just fine. And there's this all-night diner on the other side of the state line. Fries up the best- You just puked, Dale said, looking at Earl in amazement. Earl patted his belly. Well, I know. Now I got all this room, you see. Dale shook his head, tuning out Earl's annoying drone. He wanted so badly to go to sleep. He wanted so badly for this run to be over. Shutting his eyes, he attempted to will himself unconscious. It didn't work. He gazed out his window and imagined for a moment that he saw green eyes dimly reflected in the glass. Good night, he said to himself. Good night, Katie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed Green Eyes and Chili Dogs by author Kevin David Anderson. For more about Kevin and his other short stories and novels, visit his author page today at simplyscarypodcast.com.
Up next, we'll bring you our own nightmarish version of the never-ending story. But first, I'd like to welcome to the program Mr. Jim Perry, host of the Euphemet Podcast. Hello, Jim. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing fantastic today, GM. Thank you for having me on the show. And we are happy to have you. Thanks for joining us today to tell us about your program. Before we begin, would you mind telling my listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, as you said, I'm Jim Perry. I'm a producer, a podcaster, a creative director, and someone who has been obsessed with the paranormal and the supernatural since they were just a little kid. I grew up on Arbel, on In Search Of, and comic books, um, <laughs> and it's completely influenced my take on life. And so I am, I am approaching and jumping into this field with um, both feet uh, from about five years ago. And Euphemet is just the most current incarnation of this. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jim. At the top of this program, I gave an idea of what your own show is about. But I think everyone would rather hear it from you. In your own words, what exactly is Euphemet? So Euphemet is a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. And essentially what we're trying to do with the show is present these stories, these paranormal, supernatural, fringe, strange stories that happen to everybody in everyday life and present them in a way that really sort of gets to the heart of the matter and where we can see the human perspective of how experiences like this, how events like this uh, can really transform a human's life. Mm. Jim, can you tell me what about Euphemet makes it so special and why someone should subscribe to yet another program about the paranormal when there are so many others out there? Well, Euphemet is different because although there are many shows out there that for sure tell real stories about real people and sometimes even have their own voices we're actually we're, we're going to these folks and we're living with them we're we're embedding ourselves uh, within their community we're meeting their family um we're getting as close as possible to these experiences as humanly possible and we're bringing the folks with us we're bringing the listeners with us so i think that's what makes us different and uh we really approach it from like sort of immersive documentary perspective and so that that really drives the the heart and the engine of this show so i think that's what makes us different can you tell our listeners about what sort of topics you explore on the show? You know, the topics we explore on the show range from like sort of the paranormal standards, um, your, your uh, ghosts, your UFOs, um, this sort of thing to, to things that are, you know, sort of uh, psychics, mediumship. Uh, near-death experiences, things like these. I mean, essentially all, all of your standards that have been out there in this sort of lexicon for, for forever. Um, what we're also trying to do, though, is, is include topics that are perhaps not uh, essentially just paranormal, but perhaps teeter on, the, on, on, on fringe, right? On things that are uh, related more to perhaps the unknown or the esoteric. So um, we're looking for new stories as well. What else is out there that we haven't heard? Also, what are new takes on the stories that we've already heard? For those in our audience who haven't heard of you before you visited today, could you tell me something about your most recent episode? What can listeners expect if they tune in today? 
If listeners were to tune in today, you know, go to euphemet.com, go to iTunes uh, and explore and start downloading these podcasts, you're going to hear me uh, struggling to climb up a red rock in Sedona. And <laughs> in order to uh, in order to, to talk to and have an interview with former UFO lawyer and now Vortex jumper Peter Gersten, um, you're going to hear his perspective about how his life has transformed since he started experiencing synchronicities that really led to giving him visions and messages and affected his life to a great deal. Um, and after that, going on a sort of a fantastic journey um, that affects his life and his family's life and, and people around him, including the township, uh, in pretty substantial ways. So you're going to hear essentially me and my group of producers breaking bread with a lot of folks and really getting to the heart of the matter and finding out how paranormal experiences have really transformed their life. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jim. Before we let you go, can you let me know about what listeners can expect from Euphemet in the future? Where are things headed and what's in store? Well, I think within the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be perhaps living with a couple who also live with uh, an extreme amount of haunted objects um, that continually challenge and and uh, and and shape what their day-to-day -day is like um, <laughs> and essentially getting myself into all sorts of sort of strange adventures um, that I think the listeners will be captivated by that um, I can experience for them and uh, you'll you can just experience it or expect more of that. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today to tell us about Euphemet. Thanks so much, GM. Cheers. You can find Jim Perry and his program at euphemet.com on iTunes and via your podcast app of choice. So take a look, give a listen, and don't forget to subscribe and add the program to your weekly podcast lineup. You <laughs> won't regret it. In the meantime, we've got some more terrifying tales for you. So brace yourself for the sort of chills only we can provide. Our second story this evening, written by the Dark Scholar, as based on a prompt by Stephen Wright, is the first chapter of an ongoing saga called waking nightmare, and a literal sign of things to come. Waking Nightmare, presented by our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and featured on their YouTube channel, explores what happens to an unnamed gentleman after he wakes to find himself in an unusual place, with no idea how or when he got there, or how to escape. What's most interesting about the stories, however, is that no one but you, our listeners, will know what happens next, because <laughs> you'll be the ones writing it. That's right, every chapter which comes next will be written by you, the members of our audience. To help contribute to the series, simply listen to the first chapter, and when it's finished, write the next and post it in a comment on the Waking Nightmare 
Chapter 1 video, now live at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. See the video description there for detailed instructions. Each episode will allow one week for submission and voting, and the next chapter with the most upvotes will become official and be produced as the next installment. And the best part yet, each chapter will provide another opportunity to decide what happens next and another chance to win. So settle in and enjoy this first chapter of our unlucky protagonist's sinister saga. And when you're finished, go ahead and submit a chapter of your own for your chance to have your tale added to the series. Without further ado, I present to you Chapter 1 of Waking Nightmare, narrated by my personal friend Dr. Creepen and featuring Jason Hill and Kristen Holland. fell to his knees, cold sweat dripping from his brow, and a deep, throbbing pain radiating from his throat. Why? Why was he in so much pain? Oh, that's right. He had forgotten. He had been screaming. But what was he screaming at? Some thing? No, that wasn't right. He had been screaming for something. For Someone. For anyone. The man thumped his closed fist against his temple, as if trying to beat the memories back into his skull. He beseeched the empty air as a priest would his silent gods. Why? Why can't I remember? (sighs) The man let out a grunt of frustration and slammed his fist against the tree to his right. Wait, no, not a tree. There was no rough texture. The surface was smooth. He could hit a wall. Yes, that's right. The forest was last time, and... Or was it the time before that? It was all so hard to remember. He looked around, taking in his surroundings. It was a strange place. He stood in a long, narrow hallway, its walls decorated with patterns of such intrinsic complexity that merely looking upon them brought feelings of nausea. To his left were small, circular windows. As he looked outside them, he could see a large body of water that stretched out as far as the eye could see. In the distance, he spotted the sun. He caught just one glimpse of its light before the ocean seemed to swallow it whole leaving nothing behind but the inky blackness of the night. Though he did not know why, a single, crystalline tear slid down his cheek as he bore witness to the dying of the light. Feeling that he had seen enough of the outside for the moment, he wiped his eyes and decided to focus his attention back on the interior of the... boat? No, that wasn't right. It was too large to be a boat. Shit. Yes. Well, it looked like one anyways. But there was something off about the place. The colors were faded, and the sound was practically non-existent, save for the faint echo of his footsteps, the soft hum of the lights, and the heavy beating of his heart. Why 
Why was his heart beating so fast? The man racked his brain, searching for the words. Then it came to him like a whisper on the wind. Fear. It was fear he felt. But he couldn't recall why. The deep-seated anxiety in his chest was nearly suffocating in its intensity. He was on a knife's edge, needing only the slightest push to send him into a fit of manic. His confusion and memory loss did not help matters. Where am I? Who am I? The questions echoed in his mind, an incessant rattle that was at once maddening and comforting. As the old saying goes, I think, therefore I am. That was the saying. He was certain of it. It would have to do. He took a moment to compose himself before he pressed on with the intent of exploring the rest of the ship. It was a large place, filled with several more hallways and rooms, most of which were locked. The few that were open to him seemed to be bedrooms, complete with furnishings that one would expect to find in a five-star hotel. In each of the rooms, there was a bed, television, and bathroom. In each and every, he'd enter and turn on the television. But it was always the same. Nothing but the snowy image of static greeted him. He shut his eyes and gritted his teeth as he listened to the constant sound of static for the umpteenth time. Then, he hoisted the TV up and hurled it across the room, shattering its screen against the wall. The static did not cease. In fact, it only grew louder, its sound slowly increasing in volume until it turned into an all-consuming screech. Covered his ears and screamed in protest, desperately trying to keep the horrid sound at bay. His efforts failed. screech became more and more intense by the second. It grew sharper and louder with each passing moment, drowning out the man's wails of pain. The lights around him began to flicker, and the shadows they cast seemed to be closing in on him as a predator would with their cornered prey. Then, suddenly, the noise stopped, leaving behind an amplified silence. The lights returned to normal, and the shadows returned to their usual form. The man looked around the room, completely dumbfounded by what had just happened. He began to question his very sanity. This can't be happening. It can't be. It just can't be. Then he noticed an irritating sensation whenever the fabric of his shirt brushed against the skin of his right arm. It felt like it was covered in fire ants. He raised it into the light so as to get a better look. That's when he noticed the blood. Damn. With a curse, he made his way to the restroom, turned on the grey light and yanked up his shirt sleeves. Then, he saw why he was bleeding. There, etched into his skin, was a message. But it was no ordinary wound, where one would expect to find perhaps some ghastly reminder of some unfortunate accident, was instead evidence of the injury being self-inflicted. The proof was in the message the wound conveyed. 
There, carved into his very epidermis, were the words, Don't die. Don't sleep. The man yanked up his other sleeve, looked at his other arm and saw a long, deep incision that stretched lengthwise along his veins. I did this to myself? He looked into the mirror above the sink and saw more. So much more. His face was a mess of scarred tissue, a veritable patchwork puzzle of burns and cuts that showed a picture of pure hatred. Hatred against him. Who would do this to him? And why? He would not, could not, believe that he'd do such things to himself. So somebody else had to have done it. He touched his throat, felt the thick, smooth skin that ran across his jugular. He tore open his shirt and beheld several more scars decorating his body. A few showed signs of being self-inflicted. Others did not. All across his skin, he could see reminders of the horrors he'd been put through. He saw evidence of fatal knife and gunshot wounds. These, while unpleasant to see, were far from the most disturbing things he noticed. Upon the left-hand side of his torso were what appeared to be teeth marks. But they were teeth unlike that of any creature he knew of. The very size and unnatural shape of the scar made him shiver at the very thought of the pain such a wound would have inflicted. For once, he was almost grateful for his loss of memory. This went on for several minutes, him examining his body, and every second bringing a new horrifying revelation of the unspeakable things that had been done to him. Each and every scar breathed life into the faint embers that had been his memories. Fleeting images, sounds and sensations came to him with every new wound he discovered. The gnashing of teeth, the tearing of sinew, the screams of pure agony. Then, just as quickly as the flashes came, they were gone again. <sighs> to the floor, clutching his head in his hands, the heavy beating of his heart pounding in his ears like a heavy drum. He finally understood why he was afraid, and with that understanding came a terror far greater than the one that had come before. I should be dead. It was true. He should have died a hundred times over if he'd suffered those kinds of wounds. And yet, he lived. He raised his dark arm back into the light. They were simple instructions, ones that now carried far more weight. Even so, he didn't fully understand them. Don't die was clear enough, but don't sleep. Why? What harm could sleep bring? He lay there for some time, questions running through his head, trying to will his memories back to understand just what was happening to him and why. The place in which he found himself the vessel was not normal. That much he knew. The ship, the scars, the horrible memories. He wanted answers. He needed answers. Yet, they did not come. Eventually, he rose from the floor and left the room. He stepped back into the hallway and saw something new. The area he came upon was not illuminated. It was so dark, in fact, that he couldn't make out a single detail seemed to him to be a place of pure darkness. His heart sank as he gazed upon it. 
it appeared so endless and so cold. He did not want to go in there. He turned his back on the abyss and faced the light ahead of him. While it gave him some small measure of comfort, he could not help but feel like the void itself was watching him somehow. But even so, he could not bear the idea of looking back at it. There was no telling what he might see. The man continued to explore the craft, but it was always the same. Every room was identical in every way to the one before it. It didn't matter how far he walked, there seemed to be no end to the accusing hallway. He mulled over his situation. Is this all some sort of dream? He cast a glance at his own, his eyes tracing the letters carved into it. It felt real enough. How can this be? How can any of this be real? But the thing that really disturbed him was how the darkness seemed to follow him. Though he dared not look back, he could hear the faint buzz of the lights fade away shortly after stepping beyond. It reminded him of the final sound a cicada makes just before it dies. He gave up on searching the guest rooms. There was no point. It was the same. It would always be the same. All he could do was move forward and wish, pray, for salvation. And so he did. For hours he wandered the accursed ship, following the maze-like path of the seemingly endless hallways until he collapsed once again out of pure exhaustion. He could go no further. He was tired. His back and feet ached. Once more he raised his left arm into the light and reviewed again the warning he had left for himself. Don't sleep. Don't die. The man knew he shouldn't sleep. He knew that, but what other choice was there? To keep moving? To endlessly wander the damn place like a slack-jawed automaton? He allowed himself a moment of rest and slumped against the wall. No. I will not. I... I... I just... I just want to sleep. Just let me sleep. Before he could finish the thought, he saw it. A doorway. But it was no ordinary doorway. The jewel doors were of a single color, whereas everything else before it had been gray. And to top it all off, they were red. Everything else around him was so dull and lifeless. But the doors were red. And they were beautiful. He felt the stirrings of something in his heart. Something else he had forgotten. Hope. Without a moment's hesitation, he bounded toward the doorway, passing the cold, lifeless surroundings that, up until that point, had been his entire world. The doors were more than simple chunks of wood to him. In his mind, they represented something he wanted so much that it physically hurt. Change. Before long, he was there. He stood before the doors, their crimson hue enthralling him, calling to him their unparalleled beauty. But upon his approach, he noticed a message scrawled across the doors in gold letters. Lasciate ogni speranza. Forci entrate. He did not know what the message meant, as he could not understand the language. But what did it matter? What was on the other side was irrelevant. It had to be better than what he'd been through already. Besides, he could still feel the darkness closing in on him. 
The entire time, he never once turned back to look at it. He didn't have to. He could feel its chill as it inched closer and closer to him, and he would be damned before he'd let it take him. He pushed at the doors with all of his might, and he fell into the next room. With a heavy groan, the door shut behind him. He clambered back to his feet and gazed upon his surroundings. And what he saw was glorious. Breathtaking. Impossibly massive in size and beautiful beyond all measure. He was in a ballroom, but it was unlike any that one would expect to find. He found himself surrounded by gold. The tables, chairs, the very floor he stood on were made of pure gold. In the center of the room was a spiral staircase that extended to incredible heights. Above him hung a chandelier that seemed to be made of light itself, mysteriously suspended in the air without any kind of wire or rope supporting it. It was as if someone had plucked a star from the sky and decided to put it on display. It truly was a sight to behold. Music floated through the air, where it came from, he did not know, but its beautiful notes added to the man's sense of wonder. The music served to calm him further. It was melancholy in nature, yet peaceful. A name came to him. Beethoven. Moonlight Sonata. The memory came without a thought or effort. In it, he was seated in an easy chair, near the fire, listening to the classics. He had a love for music such as this. Always had and always would. The man smiled at the memory, basking in his newfound peace. It was not to last. The music began to slowly distort, twisting into a demented version of itself. In his peripherals, he could see shadows waxing, waning, and growing. He turned back to the door and saw it immediately. The darkness had returned. <sighs> It was seeping through the edges like oil. It crawled along the walls and floor, melding with the shadows cast by the star above. In an instant, the air began to grow colder and weigh him down. As the spreading corruption engulfed all in its path, the man fell and scrambled backwards, desperately trying to escape. It was no use. Before he knew it, the darkness had consumed everything before him and was now mere inches away. He didn't know what else to do, so he did the only thing he could think of. He shut his eyes. Too terrified to face the abyss, he squeezed his eyes shut and waited for the end. He could feel its cold embrace as it surrounded him. Then, everything stopped. All sound ceased. The music stopped. At first, he was grateful for the silence, until he realized it was all that was left, aside from the sound of his shallow breathing. With the loss of the music, the reality of his situation truly began to sink in. He was alone, and afraid, in the dark, with nothing but his thoughts to keep him company. This isn't happening. It can't be happening. Can't be happening. Can't be happening. He repeated the words like a prayer, even as the all-consuming cold numbed his fingers and reduced his breath to fog. He did so, until the sound of footsteps pulled him from his reverie. Instinctively, 
he opened his eyes so as to identify the source of the sound. He immediately regretted doing so. He saw things in the dark. Impossibly tall creatures with gangly limbs and crooked faces. Their eyes were nothing more than holes that seemed to somehow hold a void deeper and darker than their surroundings. They stared at him silently, never moving, never breathing, only staring. They had him surrounded, and there were so many of them, too many to count. <sighs> the man cowered at the sight, shrinking to try and remove himself from their presence as best he could. He was terrified beyond all measure, more than ever before. He wasn't even afraid that he was going to die. He was afraid of the alternative. He was afraid of what the things had in store for him. Then he whimpered a single word. Please. Please. This seemed to please the creatures, as their crooked mouths twisted into hideous smiles that only intensified his fear. Slowly, silently, the mob divided itself, exposing the large doors he'd used when he initially entered the room. Unlike before, they were now open, and what he saw chilled him to his very core. His brain lurched, unable to comprehend, much less accept, what he was seeing. At times it resembled a wolf, only much larger and twisted in nature. At others, its form was simply incomprehensible. Demon. Demon was the only word that came to mind when he saw the creature. The sounds it made, words could not describe. However, its teeth were its most disturbing feature by far. He recognized them. More memories of ripping and tearing flashed through his mind. It was at that moment he creature before him was the one who hurt him, and crept slowly towards him. Its heavy footsteps echoing in the massive room, its eyes locked on his, seemingly daring him to run. And so, he did. With the speed of hunted prey, the man turned and ran further into the darkness. With an ungodly roar, the demon gave chase. The beast tore through the tables and chairs with alarming speed. The man had never imagined such a big thing could move so quickly. He ran. He ran until his legs burned and his veins pumped acid, and still he kept on running. He could not let the monstrous thing catch him. No matter how much his body protested, he knew whatever pain he felt in that moment was nothing compared to what he was about to do to him. Somehow, he knew this from experience. As he ran from the creature, memories of their past encounters flooded his mind. The breaking, tearing, and chewing. Its demented laughter in response to his cries for mercy. He always ran from it, and it always caught him. Now he ran again, hoping and praying that he'd find some way to escape this time. Please, God. God? There is no 
God. There is only you and me together forever. <laughs> His voice was twisted, inhuman. The man wept as he ran. He knew it to be true, but there was no escape. He'd finally realized the futility of running. He was ready to give up, to allow the demon to have its way. That's when he saw it. The staircase from before. There it was, shrouded in darkness and cold, stretching to infinity. If there was a way out, that was his best chance. With one last desperate burst of energy, he charged towards his imagined salvation. The demon, seemingly unaware of the man's intention, picked up speed, determined to prevent his prey's escape. As soon as he reached the stairway, he dove between the railing and the steps, crashing into their jagged edges. He heard a wet snap. The right side of his chest burst into pain. He cried out, but pushed through it and began to climb the stairs. The beast crashed into the railing, becoming twisted and tangled in its metal wires. The whole structure shook intensely, so much so that the man began to fear its collapse. Yet, it held. The demon thrashed against its bindings. Not wanting to waste any time, the man continued to climb the stairs, eager to put as much space between him and the creature as possible. The monster continued to struggle against its confines. Then, it your blood the man continued to climb the stairs he ascended farther and farther until even the beast's wild howls began to fade into silence soon he was alone again nothing but the cold dark and the pain in his side to keep him company but even so he continued his endless ascent climbing higher and higher before long, he began to lose hope of ever leaving the dark behind. Just then, he spied a faint glow above him. At first, he didn't believe it, chalking it up as another trick of the mind. But no, what began as a speck grew larger as he approached. Before long, it bloomed into a night sky full of stars. At last, he approached the top of the stairs. As he stepped out onto solid ground again, he allowed himself a small measure of relief. He looked around and realized that he was on the deck of the ship, though it was too shrouded in darkness. The atmosphere felt far less heavy. Its weight felt far more natural than that which he had left behind. He looked up and saw streaks of light dance across the night sky. They were beautiful, and the temptation to lose himself in their beauty was present. But by that point, he'd become far more cautious than he ever had been before. Nothing about the vessel was as it seemed, and he would not allow himself to be tricked so easily again. He took the time to explore the deck, taking in its surroundings. Other than the stairway he left behind, there seemed to be no other entrance into the ship. He peered over the edge and saw the bottom half of the ship, 
It extended so far down that you could scarcely make out where it ended, were it not for the slight illumination of the starry sky. He doubted that he'd be able to see the end at all. Finally, he made his way to the very front of the ship and turned upon the horizon, past the water and through the mist. He could make out the silhouette of a skyline in the distance. However, where one would expect to see lights from windows and cars, he was instead greeted by the sight of a city burning. Great pillars of smoke rose high into the night sky. Ash began to fall on the deck like leaves from a tree. A gust of wind brought with it the stench of fire, and of death, and of the screams of the damned. His journey was far from over. This is GM Danielson, thanking you for joining us once again for tonight's celebration of the sinister. Thanks again to today's sponsor, Euphemet, for their support of this show, and your host, Jim Perry, for joining us on the program. If, after today's terrifying tales, you've still got the taste for the mysterious and the paranormal, head on over to euphemet.com or search for Euphemet in your podcast app of choice and subscribe today to get weekly episodes from Jim and his team as they explore the unknown. <laughs> you won't be disappointed. And of course, don't forget to join us next week when we once again dive deep into the minds of the most unsettling stories and breathe life into the most unholy of horrors in this, our theater of the mind. If you like what you've heard, and would like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's episode, which includes two more terrifying tales. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, where you can sign up for a season pass and get access to all 24 ad-free extended episodes from this season or sign up as a patron for just $5 per month and get access to not just this program, but our network's audio archive of hundreds of previous releases, including premium versions of our other shows, such as Horror Hill and Scary Stories Told in the Dark. (laughs) Not only that, but you'll be lending your support to this very program and help us continue bringing nightmares to life each and every week. Thank you for your support. Until next week, if your lights suddenly go out and you find yourself chilled to the bone, looking over your shoulder, there's no need to run for cover. You may just be experiencing the Simply Scary Podcast. thanks for listening i'm steve taylor and you've been listening to the simply scary podcast a production of chilling entertainment and the creative team at chilling tales for dark nights and a proud member of the simply scary podcasts network 
Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was written by Craig Roshek and performed by special guests Jason Hill, host of the Horror Hill podcast, and Otis Jiry, host of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com today to support this program by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to premium extended versions of our episodes, our audio archive, and ad-free downloads of all of your favorite stories, including those you've heard today. The host of the Simply Scary podcast is GM Danielson. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music for the program was produced by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering are overseen by the executive producer and director, Craig Groshek, with production of individual stories by members of our talented sound design team. Artwork for the show's episodes by David Romero. For more information about the authors, performers, and artists involved in the production of this and our other episodes, visit our website today. Got a scary story of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tale considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from us and another episode of this program each and every Tuesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button and tell us how we're doing and leave a comment. Until next week, listeners... Turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.